Hey guys, I'm Jill. Hey, and I'm Mary. We are here on a special episode of Don't Shove the Dub. Today we're going to be talking about Francis Chan's Forgotten God. It's a book that both Mary and I have been listening to on Audible. We love it. It's so good. Yeah, I'm like ridiculously excited for this conversation. Like, yeah. not even lie. Insane. Our minds have been blown by this book. Yeah, blown. I have to say that if I could ever have written the book about the Holy Spirit, Francis Chan has already written the book. Exactly. So let's dive in. And if you guys want to check it out, once again, the book Francis Chan, and it's called Forgotten God. So good. So good. So good. Um, yeah, so the first thing, I guess, to talk about is it's a really odd title. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know that I would have thought that he's talking about the Holy Spirit just by the title. Like, you you were the one that mentioned it, Jill. Like, how did you even hear about it? Well, I mean, I've been following Francis Chan for a while because in 2014, I think it was, I went to the Passion Conference in Houston. Oh, okay. And he was one of the speakers. And, it, like, he was so good. Hmm. I remember that talk to this day. Wow. Which is saying a lot because I've heard a lot of talks. <laughs> We've heard And been talks. to a lot of conferences. <laughs> and then... A couple, like maybe two months ago or so, I was asked to come on the Ministry Leaders Anonymous podcast and talk about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that Chris and Matt, who host the podcast, mentioned was that they had both read Forgotten God mm. and they had really good things to say about it. And yeah, I that's how I heard about it. The first time I had heard about it. No, it's, yeah, it's been incredible. And for anyone who's listening, considering buying the book or doing an audiobook, we both, Jill and I got the audiobook version, but there's a version where Francis Chan reads it himself. And I mean, it, I don't know that you could have a better experience of an audiobook than having the actual author be able to communicate things in the tone of, in the sense that he wrote it in. So we, we had a really like personal experience of it, I feel like, through actually hearing him read it. I chose to do the audiobook because I have so many books that I have started and have not finished mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, audiobook, it's done in, I think it's three hours, three and a half hours. Yeah, I think, it's not if you... long. If you're looking for something to do, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's a great way to kind of pass time to just listening while you're cleaning the house or doing whatever, you know, driving. Yeah, and it's really simple. Like, this is not a theology on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is not, like, an information book. It is a book to listen to like you would listen to a talk at your parish or mm -hmm. a sermon maybe at your church or whatnot. This is a book that is really personally convicting. Mm -hmm. And very practical. Yeah, and there are times of the book when he says you know, press pause and pray about this. Mm. Or like one of my favorite things that he talks about, he's like, if this is the only thing that you've incorporated, like the Holy Spirit into your life, then stop listening to this book and just go spend time with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Because 
that's more valuable than listening to this book. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. He's so good. It's so good. And yeah, I mean, there's so many questions that people have maybe that are a little bit more timid mm-hmm. coming into a charismatic spirituality or just diving into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like, why do I need a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? You know, some of the the things that hold us back, those stumbling blocks of entering into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he just calls it how he sees it. And it's great. Yeah. And, you know, like he talk, he goes back and even refers to one of the chapters, he refers to St. Augustine, which yeah. is super cool. Or even you know, I think I think he refers to even like Saint Cyril at one point. He refers to saints and their quotes on the Holy Spirit, which it just amazes me. It's so refreshing and cool to see him using that. It's fantastic. So Yeah, so I don't know, we Oh, were, I was gonna ask you what your favorite part of the book was. Oh my goodness. Um, or one of your favorite parts. I can't even pick a favorite part. What is one of your favorite parts? Man. Um, it's hard to narrow. Um, I think my my favorite was actually when he went into, or or at least I think it it hit me more because of the season I'm in. Um, so we're still kind of in this quarantine season, and so it's you start kind of looking at your life and looking at the future and trying to figure out what the Lord wants or what you're supposed to do in this time because you have a lot of it. Yes and no. I mean, I guess with online ministry we talked about that already, but. Um, what, what hit me was how there's this tendency for people to say, um, I wish the Holy Spirit, or I wish God would just tell me what his will is for my life or what his plan is. And he has a quote, I actually have it here. Let me find it quick. Here it is. He says, it's easy to use the phrase, quote, God's will for my life as an excuse for inaction or even disobedience. It's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. It's safer to commit to following him someday instead of this day. And I was like, dang, (laughs) when I heard that, because it's true. So many of us, we get caught up in, what's your plan for your life, for my life, Lord? Or would you just tell me? Or, And it's, you miss out on what the Lord's directing you to do in the next 10 minutes or listening mm. for the Holy Spirit to kind of give you those promptings or the, that sense of um, what, just even noticing things as you're moving through your day, like inviting the Lord to help you notice where he's moving or someone he wants you to talk to or something he wants you to do immediately. And mm. it, I'm trying to kind of even approach this time where we're separated from so much of society to, to actually, cause I have the opportunity to stop at the start of my day and really say, okay, Lord, what do you want from me today? Versus man, what's, what's the plan you have for my life and what are all the big things you want me to accomplish? And so that just, or, or even the fact that Francis talks about in that quote, that the quote, God's will for my life is used as an excuse, not just for inaction, but also for disobedience. 
for putting off being obedient to him today. So yeah. that's that was very convicting for me. Very convicting. Yeah, I think that you see that a lot, uh, practically speaking. Like, I've seen that a lot in people, I think, in our church. Things as simple as, like, their vocation. Mm. Coming out of Franciscan, everybody's like, I need to discern today what my vocation is. Mm -hmm. And, like, even I fell into that for a long time. And shortly after college, because all my friends are getting married, mm. and here I am, like... <laughs> Just a single youth minister in Syracuse, New York, chilling. And mm. if I would have gotten caught up in that I need to know what God's plan for me is and yeah. for marriage and for family and all that stuff, like, I didn't meet Rob till way after I graduated from school. Oh, yeah. I've only been married for a year and a half. If I would have just spent that amount of time discerning for our future and not allowing the Lord to use me in those days, in those weeks, in that time, then that would be really, really unfortunate. Like, mm. and a big mistake on my end to, like, just turn away from that. Yeah. Stephanie Gretzinger gave a talk, like, a couple of years ago that I came across online, and it was, she was talking about how, as Christians, sometimes we're so focused on getting to the promised land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That she says, like, we forget that our promise is actually in the process. Right. Right. In that process of getting to where you're going, that obedience, like, the little obedience in the day-to-day -day with the Lord and that journeying in the day-to-day -day is actually where our promise is. Mm -hmm. Not getting to this point of being like, oh, I'm going to, you know, make all this money and then I'm going to be able to do something for the Lord. Or I'm going to get my life together and then come to the lord mm -hmm. that idea that we have of like earning salvation or like being good enough for for god the lord doesn't want oftentimes like those big picture th moments like he wants our obedience in the day-to-day -day. yes and even francis in the book talks about how most of the people in the old testament most of the people didn't know what that big picture was going to look like yeah mm -hmm. they never had the big picture it was just in the little things. Right. Like he uses the example of Abraham, right? And how Abraham was, he was given directives on what to do and he followed them and they were crazy directives like leave your home and <laughs> go do this. And, um, but he didn't know the big picture. God didn't reveal like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be doing this and this is why I'm having you do this because it's going to look like this. It's just, no, he would give him a directive and Abraham would be obedient to that thing, that yeah. immediate thing. Yeah, and oftentimes the big picture for us is way smaller than the big picture for the Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we might think like and put all of our energy into something that we think is is a big picture and that's just a fragment of what the Lord wants to use mm -hmm. like in our lives and how he desires to use us, which I think is really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so just treating everything, I think just with that small vision, mm -hmm. you know, what can I do today? What can I do in the next 10 minutes? Like you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love how simple that is, but, but how about you, Jill? What, what was your favorite of the entire book? 
There's so much. Oh my much. gosh, I can't pick of the entire book. I know. There's it's... like a million different things that I could yeah. pick from this book. And so many things that I was challenged by in this book that is, yeah, not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because I'm uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I think that the idea of one of the one of the quotes that kind of hit me pretty hard was he says in quote i think the fear of god failing us leads us to cover for god mm. and this means that we ask for less expect less and are satisfied with less because we are afraid to ask or expect more mm. and just looking at that like in my own life this has been Apart from the whole COVID crisis and all everything of 2020. Right. This has actually been a really, really difficult year for me personally. Mm. <laughs> it's come with its challenges and, you know, a couple, I think it was like maybe a week and a half before everyone went into lockdown and everything kind of like hit the fan with covid yeah i i actually called mary and i was like mary i just need somebody to pray with me yeah like because i was so like my life was mm -hmm. kind of a mess and yeah and i think i i read that quote looking back at that time mm -hmm. challenged myself a little bit to to really think how am i asking the lord to come through for me mm -hmm. am i playing it safe and asking enough of the Lord. Yeah. And I think that oftentimes the approach that people have is that they don't want to, like, inconvenience God <laughs> or be selfish or... Mm -hmm. It's fun. Like, it's we laugh yeah. because that's a funny idea that yeah. we could ever inconvenience God. But I think that mm -hmm. at the heart of it, that's people don't ask for, for things for themselves yeah. because they feel like... I shouldn't be asking for anything or that's selfish or God has other things like right. God is this exhaustible <laughs> miracle giver. Oh, I'm sorry. If I grant this for you, I can't grant this miracle for someone else. Yeah. Like, or, or that perspective of like, what if he doesn't do it? Oh, well, then I just won't ask. So I don't get disappointed. Yeah. You know? And that attitude Sure, you can't lose or you can't be disappointed, but you also can't win. Yeah. Like, there's no winning with that. Mm-hmm. Everything remains the same. Nothing gets better. Yeah. And that's not how the gospel challenges us to live. Yeah. That's not what relationship with the Lord looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with that that really struck me is at one point in the book, he said, if you take away everything that I know about the Holy Spirit, I would still not be able to deny his existence because of the ways that he's worked personally in my life. Yeah. And if we're not pushing ourselves to be uncomfortable and ask a lot from God, and even having that chance of being disappointed, Mm-hmm then we also can't testify to the existence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's just impossible because we're living in a place of safety. We're, we're covering for God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
I thankfully like have people in my life that have pushed me and been there to support me where I can say, yeah, if you were to take away all the things that I learned in school or like take away the catechism, right? I would still not be able to deny that the Holy Spirit exists mm-hmm. because I've seen things. Yeah. That you can't deny. That I cannot explain. No. Other than by the power of the Holy Spirit, this has happened. Yeah. It, it's like if, if someone like, the example I thought of was LeBron James. Like, say you, you've read up on LeBron James, James and you know all of his stats and, I don't know, all this stuff about him. But then if, if that knowledge is removed from you, you and and you were confronted with your belief in, in LeBron James or your understanding of him if you never actually went out to lunch with LeBron or never shook his hand or never um I don't know just spent time hanging out with him you would have no faith in LeBron <laughs> you would have nothing yeah. to go off of you would right? have no proof that he existed mhm and and is that can you like I love that question that you brought up, Jill, that he brought up of, you know, would you would you still know the Holy Spirit? Would you still have that same conviction about him if all the theology you've ever learned about the Holy Spirit had been removed from your brain? How would that affect things? And if that's lacking, if that experience is lacking, then there's it's should, not there should be at least an it's not God's it. fault. It's not that's his fault. your fault. <laughs> yeah. And and there and if you haven't had those experiences yet, where if that were to happen to you, you you wouldn't have that conviction about the Holy Spirit, well, then this is kind of a wake-up call and an opportunity to seek that out and to step into that relationship and to, yeah. quote-unquote, go out to coffee with the Holy Spirit. You know, not just read about him, but engage with him in prayer. You know, actually seek yeah. that relationship. And he'll show up, but you, you yeah. have to engage. Yeah, I definitely think... That if that's what your life looks like and you're sick and you cannot say with confidence, yes, I know, and I've had an experience and am convinced of the Holy Spirit as a real person, mm-hmm. then I, along with Francis Chan, <laughs> would say that your life is probably too comfortable. Yes. Yeah. And that you need to put yourself in a place to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mary would say so too. <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. Um, he, I love to, in regards to even the title and like moving into kind of the main theme of the book, because it's really one that just like Jill was saying, it really addresses everyone on the spectrum, whatever your spirituality, whatever um, place you're at with it, or your church, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or evangelical or. Baptist or whatever your background, this this calls you on. It really does. And he talks about how when we forget about, which is very common, when we forget about the spirit, we're really forgetting God. When we forget about the spirit, we're really forgetting God. And then he goes on to say, no matter what religious tradition you come from, you likely carry baggage and harbor stereotypes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And, and I think that's something that, at least for me as a Catholic, I didn't realize that I, I think I had this perception that for a long time, 
up until probably following college, my perception was more so, well, as a Catholic, my understanding was other denominations are, are mostly spirit-filled, spirit-led, um, very charismatic, very expressive, very praise and worshipy, and I had a rude awakening when I started working in New York because there was a point where I missed praise and worship in Steubenville and kind of the, the culture of worship we had there. And my boyfriend at the time and I decided, well, there's like this like Baptist church near us that is doing a praise and worship night. And it was like a mega church. And we were like, we'll just go to do some praise and worship with them. And it'll be great. <laughs> and so we, we went and it was a mega church and we got in like the front row. We were like, we we're, we're doing this. And we were expressive, like our hands were in the air for the majority of the worship set. And about three-fourths of the way through, I remember turning around and realizing that everyone in the church, arms were down, stoic, emotionless faces. <laughs> like, we stood out like sore thumbs. And I remember turning to my boyfriend at the time and us just being like, they know. <laughs> like, like, they know we're not one of them. And... And they were really kind to us and everything, but it was this huge wake-up call for me where I I just, it was me starting to realize, oh, wow, even in, like, Protestant denominations, there there is such a vast spectrum of what where each church is at in their spirituality and their level of expression and their understanding of the Holy Spirit and all of that. I had no idea until I started listening to this book and I was like, oh, I kind of feel a little bit better that it's not just Catholics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is like, I think for sure in Catholicism, there's a, there's a tendency to move just in the theological and to just kind of stay yep. there. Where I, I heard a Bill Johnson quote once where he said something about like, um, sometimes we become satisf so satisfied with good theology that we stop short of a divine encounter. Hmm. You know, and, and I think that's definitely something that I've commonly seen in Catholicism because there is such a rich such a richness in our theology and such a beauty to it. And we can read and be fascinated and be moved to awe and wonder, but then not actually pray. <laughs> you know, not actually engage. Yeah, we're, I mean, it goes back to this idea of we're happy for Jesus to be a part of our life in a fraction of our life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll just unlight him or let him, you know, come along on our journey and be there when we need him and kind of tuck him away when we don't. I, I think that's really mm -hmm. what, unfortunately, it is sometimes is then that kind of leads to a lack of prayer, except for when we need it, mm -hmm. or when we think that we need it. And that's a real problem within the church. And some people listening may be like offended by that. Mm -hmm. But working in ministry, I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And it comes from this idea that we do things and we come to a certain amount of knowledge and when we hit that point of knowledge, then we've earned our sacraments. Yep. So then we 
get the gold star of confirmation and <laughs> the gold move on. Star. <laughs> or we've learned enough about what the church teaches on marriage to be able to be married. Mm-hmm. We come from an earning mentality and rewarded mentality and that has led to a lot of people who are sitting in our pews that are not disciples yeah yeah he god's just been conveniently added like our lives haven't actually been transformed he's just a part that we added in or even so francis chan in the book has a quote where he says the God of the universe is not something we can just add to our lives and keep on as we did before. And then he goes on to say, nowhere in scripture do I see a, quote, balanced life with a little bit of God added in as an ideal for us to emulate. Yet, when I look at our churches, this is exactly what I see. A lot of people who have added Jesus to their lives. Absolutely. And being going into my 10, like 10th year of ministry, I can say 100% that is the situation in a lot of our parishes. And even, even with leaders in ministry, like not just people in the pews, but we had, um, we had, there's some council or whatever there's so many committees and councils in the church it's ridiculous but um it was it's some national council that we had and um they were talking about doing these like little discipleship boxes or whatnot to send out to people to help them kind of become missionary disciples Mm -hmm. and my supervisor was talking and said something about the charisma and just said like you know the brief like summary of the charisma and whatnot and somebody was like well francis is totally off of his rocker on that it's the evangelic gaudium oh yeah jesus um god loves us he gave his life and he sent his son to save us and he lives by our side um and he was like francis was just off of his rocker i don't need jesus like jesus isn't didn't need to save me wow and these are people that are like working on diocesan levels wow of the the church that's scary and i don't say that i don't say that to like knock this person or to you know badmouth anything so anybody listening that, that might jerk. be from <laughs> no, i'm kidding totally kidding i'm not <laughs> i think i think more than like anything one it's it's always shocking to kind of hear mm-hmm. that people don't that actually believe and that jesus doesn't need to save them mm-hmm. you know that he's not like and that you can't there's not really an ex, there's no personal relationship with jesus right yeah and it's and that that idea and concept of personal relationship with jesus is like foreign Mm -hmm. and i think it's unfortunately for this person i don't actually know who it was Mm -hmm. so but i think unfortunately for this person that is us as a church failing them yeah yeah it's it's not just it's it's a two-way street (laughs) and and we've kind of created a culture where i mean we've we've grown up in 
America has, I mean, comparatively to the majority of the world, I think you would say that it, it has a, a, a Christian culture in the sense of it's very common to quote unquote be Christian, but it's very easy to call yourself Christian when really you're just adding Jesus as an extra part to your life and it's not transformative. And, um, like I, I saw this with, I have, uh, one of my friends works at Elevation Worship with, or not, not Worship Church. So they're, they're kind of more well-known in the Christian music realm, kind of with Bethel and stuff. But my friend works with them and she's single and she lives in the South, basically, you know, like, and she, she started going on Christian dating sites because we were talking about kind of Christian dating, which is hilarious. And I talked about, like, I haven't done Catholic match or any of that stuff, but I've, I've Good heard my you. friend's horror Good stories. You, Mary. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I haven't reached that level yet. But no, I'm <laughs> teasing. But anyway, we were talking about kind of like horror stories with Christian dating that we've heard or that she experienced. And what was interesting in my talking to her, because I thought my perception was it'd be easier to find another Protestant that loves Jesus, especially working at a church as big as Elevation, you know, and her experience was going, I think she used Bumble. Is that the one that's the Christian dating app? I think. I don't know. Bumble's just kind of similar to Tinder. Okay. Yeah. There's one that was. I know this. Yeah. She, uh, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, But yeah, so she, she used a Christian one. I can't remember the name of it. And what she found was. The guys that the guys that were claiming to be Christian were not really Christian, but they thought they were. That's the fascinating mm. thing. Their families were Christian. They claimed to believe in God and Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, but there was no difference in their lives. Mm. Nothing. No prayer life. N- nothing. But they claimed on their profile to be strongly Christian. And that, that's, yeah. that's just become culturally accepted, I think, especially in America. And, yeah. And you and I were like talking about this the other day of this whole notion of people just wanting to be Christian, but be like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're called to be. No. He talks about in the book and he addresses this in the book. He says, if I told you that I had a supernatural gift to play basketball, mm-hmm. that God gave me a supernatural gift to play basketball, and I went on the basketball court and didn't look any different than any other basketball player, hmm. you would probably struggle to believe that that was true. Yeah. Yep. A lot of times that's how it is with the Holy Spirit that we tell people and we live on this idea that I have this supernatural power of the Holy Spirit within me Mm -hmm. and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but our life does not look any different. So why would people believe that the Holy Spirit is something that we need or that even, even more basic than that, that relationship with Jesus is something that we need. If we look like any other good person. Mm -hmm. And it's a thing that unfortunately then non-believers bring up. Mm -hmm. I can be a good person without believing in Jesus. And you can't. Like you totally can. 
Like, you, you can be a decent person. You can be a good person. But, like, that's you, not transformative. <laughs> that's not. There's more. But there's so much more. We're not. We're not called to be good people. We're called to be, like, we're not called to be strictly moral people and good people that do nice things. And just stay at that We're called to be, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're called to be holy people. And for our lives to be so infused with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit that that leads to us being good and sharing his goodness. Yes. And there is a difference between so-and-so doing something for me that is a nice thing mm-hmm. versus someone who does a nice thing for me and I can tell that there's something different about them because of the way that they do it with with a supernatural love mm-hmm. and peace and joy. And it's like, it pains me to think that people, like, for you guys listening, my husband is catholic but not practicing and we get into these conversations all the time Mm. and it pains me to see him asking or saying that like well christian people just do good things because they feel guilted into it wow because they have to do it because that's what god wants rather than for him to really understand that that's not we don't do good things because jesus told us to Mm -hmm. we do good things because we've experienced jesus and that love we can't help but share right right but this is his perception of it i unfortunately can't say is you know like off because that's the it's common unfortunately that's the perception that we give off Mm mm-hmm and there's a lot of people that live that way that don't even question or look at the fact that they are living that way. Yep. And there there hasn't been that encounter where their their Christian life has really authentically been motivated by this incredible encounter with the love of God. Yep. Our inability to be uncomfortable and to ask for things from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Our willingness, I guess, our willingness to settle Mm -hmm. when it comes to relationship with the Lord, unfortunately, I think enables other people, specifically non-believers, to settle with what they have. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. And it's it's just heartbreaking. Even when I read that section, Jill, where it had talked about Jesus being just something that you add to your life, I'd recently had a conversation with different leaders in ministry, multiple leaders at different times where they, they actually said, and I think it it comes from maybe a jadedness and bad experiences in ministry in the church and maybe that affecting your, your faith life kind of being disillusioned by yeah. Sidebar for anyone who doesn't work in the ministry. Mm. If you can be Catholic and stay faithful to the church and to the Lord while being in ministry, you can make it anywhere. Oh, yeah. it is really difficult because you see all of the ugly. You do. You do. And I think these people experienced this. But I had multiple friends of mine who have been in these circumstances, and I think I see the, disillusion- the disillusionment that they've experienced. And I, I get that. But they reached a point where over the past year, I've, ha- I've heard a couple of them use this phrase, and they've said, my goal in life right now is to just be normal. Is to just be normal. Or I've heard 
um, even my goal, one of them was talking about their social media account and they said, my goal with my Instagram is to just show people that you can be Catholic and just be normal. And it didn't sit right with me for some reason. I was like, I don't, that upsets me, (laughs) but I couldn't like Mm. articulate why. And the more that I thought about it, I was like, that's not the Christian life. And that's, that's such a depressing goal when you think about it. I actually looked up the definition of normal. (laughs) I was so bothered by that. And the definition online on the Google is, I'm trying to remember, it's Conforming to standard, usual, typical, or expected. Usual, typical, or expected. That's it. Yeah, so the definition of of normal online was usual, typical, or expected. And I'm like, let's insert that into that sentence. My goal is to be usual, typical, or expected. That's such a depressing, (laughs) like, um, just goal to have of what you you want your life to look like you know and and what about anything in any of the stories that we hear in scripture of people who gave their lives to Jesus and really were transformed by him what if anything about their lives was actually normal you know mm-hmm. or the way that God moves in what way is that actually in terms of the world and the world standards by the world standards what what part of that is actually normal And I noticed there was that tendency and that's why it upset me is it came across to me like, well, you don't want your life to be transformed. You've been so hurt and disappointed by the church that making, actually having your life transformed and even look different isn't even appealing to you anymore. When I hear that, I think of the quote by Benedict XVI, you weren't made for comfort, you were made for greatness. Mm. And... It's so contrary, that idea of being normal is so contrary to even, I think, human instinct. Hmm. There are so many people that are, even in the secular world, that desire to stand out from other people. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want to (laughs) be just like everybody else. They don't want to be normal. Mm -hmm. But I think that where it comes from and is... The real reality that living uncomfortable, following the Holy Spirit, being in a deep relationship with God where more and more is demanded of you. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's really hard. Mm. And I think that we can get caught up in that idea that if we were just normal, if we didn't have to do those things, then our life would be easier. Mm -hmm. And that integrating our life into the world would be easier yeah and i see that a lot like in my friends that are single because Mm. it's really hard to date and find someone who is pursuing a relationship with the lord yeah and then you get into the complexities of like i'm catholic he's protestant we disagree on fundamental things Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know what that's like i married somebody who's not a practicing catholic so (laughs) Right, right. But you, you, but you have difficulties in your own way, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And I, I would not have entered into that if I did not prayerfully discern that that was what the Lord was calling me to. Hmm. 
and I never thought that I would date someone who was not Catholic. Mm-hmm. Never. But I prayed and I discerned that that's what the Lord was calling me to. And so there's a, there is a little bit of a difference there. Yeah. But yeah, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging. And if it's not, you know, that we disagree on agree to disagree on some things in regards to faith and God and mm-hmm. theology, then it would be something else. Right. Right. But I think, like, what you pointed out, I like that you brought up being comfortable. And and I think that's a huge theme that Francis focus on, focuses on in his book, of the connection between the level of comfort in your life and the level of dependency on the Holy Spirit. And the the level of comfort of your life and also your experience of the the presence of the spirit. Cause he used I forget the exact story, but I, I just remember that there were, I think, Korean missionaries that were in the Middle East. Is that right, Jill? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah. They were um they were in the Middle East and they got taken as prisoners of war or they got captured by the by ISIS. Right. And and they had he told the story of basically how they it reached a point where they knew that it the most likely outcome of this circumstance was they were going to be killed. And they felt the Holy Spirit so so in such a concrete way and it, it, he was just so close and the level of just how he became so real to them in in that span of time and there were a few of them that were killed and some of them actually got out um i think there there was a deal they that finally, was made or something right yeah they finally made negotiations or whatnot with yeah the terrorists in right. korea or something right and then francis talked about how after the fact he had dinner with one of them yeah it, yeah it wasn't even like he had dinner with one of them yeah and they were and talking, talking about, about their experience. Yeah, how they actually missed that time because that in that span of time they felt closer to the Holy Spirit than in any other point in their life and they weren't able to kind of create that again. Like they they just couldn't um fashion that in their own lives on the level that they experienced it in that moment because there is a correlation in your own life between your level of comfort and stepping out and your experience of the Holy Spirit. And um, he, where's the quote? He says, why would we need the experience of the comforter if our lives are already comfortable? And it, it's mm-hmm. those who put their lives at risk and suffer for the gospel who will most often experience his being quote, with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah. And so if, if yeah, if there's that experience of, um, I've experienced it when, when I feel the Lord moving me to talk to someone or pray with someone. And it's terrifying because I'm an introvert, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to walk up to this person in the grocery store or I'm not going to say this to this person. I know. Sometimes I wish I was an extrovert and I could do that. Right. <laughs> And, but when you have those moments where you feel that inspiration and you step out and it is so uncomfortable, I, it, that's when I've seen the Lord move the most powerfully, you know, mm. like, um, 
there's like even what was it a, a priest we know was he was doing a retreat and he was receiving from the Holy Spirit different healings that were happening during adoration and I think he was just kind of speaking them out loud into a microphone during the adoration and some of them it's like they're, they're like nice things like the Lord's healing this person's heart of this wound that they went through or um, this person someone in the, the room struggled with anxiety issues the Lord says that he's healing that and those are all nice things but then he said in this moment all of a sudden he heard the Lord say something and he was like that can't be right Jesus <laughs> that's not your voice like it was very uncomfortable for him and he stops and he goes the Lord says he's healing he's he's healing bunions <laughs> and this lady in the back of the room is like that's me <laughs> I've been praying for my bunions <laughs> you know and that must have I can't imagine how uncomfortable that would have felt but also that moment of that woman having that breakthrough so cool that is really uncomfortable <laughs> i feel uncomfortable listening to that right like i really hate feet mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. um yeah i so i mean i can testify to that in my own life as well i keep a prayer journal like because my brain just goes a million miles an hour. And so the the way that I keep focused when I go into silent prayer or just daily prayers, I write things. Mm-hmm. I like write down what I'm praying because I, if not, I will be like, I'll be like Doug, the dog from up. I'll be like squirrel. <laughs> a million things. And I started it because I my spiritual director at the time um father joe connor in syracuse shout out to that amazing man Mm -hmm. uh gave me a tip that when i get distracted in prayer when i think of something because prayer is always at time when like things come up right that i'm like oh yeah i remembered i need to do that probably because i'm like stopping for five minutes (laughs) and so he's like just write it down on a page every time you think of it that way it'll be there whenever you're done so i started writing and then i got caught up and i started writing like journals and i look back now at some of those journals from a a season in my life when I was in some really like hardcore desolation Mm -hmm. and caught it in like some really difficult sin and stuff like that and I think wow like I wish I could pray like that now Mm -hmm. because those prayers were so raw and intense and desperate wow yeah that I wish I as terrible as that time was in my life I wish that I could go back to that because mm-hmm. I felt like I was pressing in so close to the Lord. And even though at the time I felt really desolate and I didn't like know where the Lord was in that. And I look back on it now and I read that and I'm like, it was so apparent to me how close the Holy Spirit was. Wow. And how close the Lord was. Mm-hmm. And and we hear you know, not just to talk about Francis Chan, this Protestant guy t- writing about this. Like, we read about that in the saints as well. Right. They go through hell. Yeah, through desolation, through the dark night of the soul. Like, mm-hmm. and the opportunities that we have to be able, in those moments, to be unified to the wounds of Christ and to the crucifixion of Christ and to invite the Holy Spirit into that. That's not, this is not just like a, protestant theology Mm -hmm. this is catholic and this is what 
saints and mystics write about. Mm-hmm. This is what St. John of the Cross writes about in, you know, in his writings and what St. Teresa experienced during her dark night of the soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not... That was my tangent. <laughs> it's so good, though, but it's it's true. He's called the comforter. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter for a reason. Because you are going to experience in the Christian life, you will experience discomfort. You will experience suffering. You're going to experience... You're going to stand out. God's going to... If you're actually trans... If your life is transformed by the Lord, it's not going to be anything expected. And there are going to be times where you feel very out of place. And very uncomfortable. Yeah. And know? it's because like he even talks about it in the book, it's it's we're uncomfortable because we are to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that process is painful a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And the Christian life is not for the faint hearted. Like no. Living a life of relationship with the Lord is not faint hearted. Mm-hmm. It is difficult and that process of being purified and for the Holy Spirit and the Lord to to strip us of the things that are of the flesh and of the world is a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And it's difficult to listen to things. That's what I've always respected about Todd White mm-hmm. is that Todd White like can't be phased by anything that anybody says. He is, and he's fascinating I admi- in that way. And I admire that because that is something that I have yet to, the Lord has yet to purify me of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that I have yet to allow the Lord to purify me of, Yeah, you know, is that, is hearing people say what have you, Mm -hmm. you know, about me or to think this or that of me. And for me to just not be faced by it because I am so sure in my identity with the Lord, Mm -hmm. even little things like that. Like, not saying that we're all going to go and be captured by ISIS and be like the <laughs> Korean, you know, like, missionaries. Right. It's, it's right. often not like that. But mm-hmm. but it is those little things. Mm-hmm. Those people saying, oh, there's Mary again being the goody two-shoes holier-than-thou Christian. Right. Which is so hard to hear. And people say things like that. Like, they do. <laughs> it's it's real. You know, even other people in ministry, like friends who claim to know the Lord, you know, it's it's hard. It is really hard. Um yeah, it's 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 a real challenge. And sometimes I for me, I think it's harder. I get most insecure not with non-believers, but with believers, quote unquote believers. Like some friends of mine that, too. that work in the church. And I, I, in my own brokenness, have a tendency to feel insecure about talking about my relationship with Jesus or even asking to pray with them. I, I'm more confident in going to up to an atheist and offering to pray than going up to some of my Catholic friends sometimes. And that's just honest. Sometimes that's mm. that's the scariest thing because I'm like... They're going to think I'm a fanatic, like, you know, because there is... We think of all those labels that they're going to start to put on us. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And, like, we don't we don't want that. Whereas, I, I don't know, but for some reason, it's scarier for me, anyway, with some Catholic friends than 
when I encounter my Protestant friends or when I encounter mm-hmm. an atheist or an agnostic, which is really interesting. That's 100% my experience. Mm-hmm. I love, I love to, what was it? Francis talked about basically like looking at how churches operate today, like churches and ministries. And he says there's a big gap between what we read in scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers in churches operate today. And he gives the example of if you were stranded on a desert island, right? And you're, you grew up there, like you were born there and you, you were given scripture, you were taught how to read, you could read it. And then that was your only understanding of God and church and Christians. And then you were dropped into today's church culture. A lot of it wouldn't match. (laughs) It's not the Holy Spirit that you read in scripture. Like it's, um, or even the churches, he talks about how we can actually do great churches and have very successful ministries that don't incorporate the Holy Spirit just with our talents or and growing churches yes that's not like it's not even churches that are staying or dying or like growing churches mm-hmm. that yeah are not actually doing church well yeah and it's not people don't pick up on it they're so in their own on their own track they don't even realize i think i mean you can do you can do the formula like get a good speaker get good music have a good atmosphere which are all good things like don't get me wrong when i'm running events those are all things that i want but i can also do that and not change the hearts of the young people that come to my events right right and that's that's the distinction he makes he talks about how how he used to even he would just get excited when big crowds would show up to his church he was like oh i did it you know, like that was the exciting thing. And now that doesn't excite him anymore. What he recognizes is actually when this, there's an actual move of the spirit in the room or there are conversions that happen because he said, I can like, I know enough to where I can be a great insurance salesman if I was trained or I can, I have a hmm. giftedness for speaking and I'm, I can be entertaining and I can get people in the room and get people to be a part of a quote unquote church. But it's the Holy Spirit ultimately who converts. Like yep. you can't, you can't create that. Um, you can create an atmosphere for it, for that encounter, but you need the Holy Spirit for that. But it's interesting because there's a lot of churches that have, I think, found the formula that we know that works. It's effective, gets people there, gets people in a church community maybe. But is the Spirit actually moving? Yeah, I mean, at that point, I feel like you're just manipulating people. Like, I know that there's Catholic speakers that are well-known at youth conferences and stuff mm-hmm. that say, if I say this during this time or lead with this kind of story or blah, blah, I'm going to get this reaction from young people mm. and I'm going to hook them in. And to me, like, that's so offensive to me. <laughs> yeah. Because... It's emotionally manipulating people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, my question is, yeah, you might have them or have them reflect on something or strike them a chord like emotionally, but do they leave and have an encounter with 
the risen Jesus. Right. And have they had lifelong change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you're just reducing it to formula, then the answer is always going to be no. Mm-hmm. I would much rather have, as a youth minister, I would much rather have a group of 15 kids that are moving in the spirit, the spirit and actually experiencing God than have a youth group of 100 kids that are very entertained and show up, but there's no movement of the spirit. Yeah. My heart will always be with like my first youth group in <laughs> Syracuse. Cause that's, that's what it was. Like it yeah. was beautiful to see. They tell you in school and in our concentration and everything, youth ministry, it's hard because a lot of times you don't see the fruit happening and right. it can be feel very unrewarding a lot of times. And that just wasn't my experience there. And hmm. I have just proud little mom moments <laughs> watching some of my old students like on Facebook and stuff now that are getting married and running youth groups themselves and things yeah. like that. And it's beautiful to see. And that was just at a small parish. We had 900 people coming to mass on the weekends oh yeah it was tiny i started with 12 kids 12 kids going to steubenville conference Mm -hmm. and then my second parish that i went to i had in our whole all the young people in our and from middle school to their senior year of high school was close to probably 2500 people Mm -hmm. 2500 young people yeah and I would have youth groups with that were significantly larger than the ones in Syracuse, but man, like right, the spirit was moving in a in a way that was just really intensely powerful. Yeah, and undeniable. Like it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's what is it? There's another quote where he talks about that. He says, and I think this is something to really kind of reflect on if if you have a ministry, especially, and you're listening to this. Um, he talks about, and I guess it applies to everyone. I, I just connected with it more on a ministry level where it said, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. Yep. And like, does your life look that way? Does your ministry look that way? You know, have you given the Holy Spirit that room to to move and and really stepped out in that way where somebody would look at what you're doing and go I don't understand how that happened <laughs> that that doesn't make sense you know um and where when they see the success of your ministry it moves them not to raise you up but it moves them to raise up the Lord, to be in awe of what God did, because it's so evidently God. Well, I think that we've probably given away a lot of the book already, it's but so you should, guys should come and read it. And I think even just, we said we weren't going to leave anybody with a challenge, but... You got a challenge for <laughs> us, Jill? Myself. Oh, I was just going to say, like, mm-hmm. back to that principle of just taking time today to discern what the Lord desires of you and from you today. Mm -hmm. And just to slow yourself down 
and stop thinking uh, the big picture of quarantine is a great time to be able to do that because we have no idea what it's going to look like. Right. Our lives are going to look like for the big picture anyways. Mm-hmm. And just to slow down and, yeah, take five minutes to really just discern what does the Lord want for me today? Mm-hmm. Or even even like Francis says in the next 10 minutes, if you if you if the day overwhelms you and you need to make your your focus and asking the Lord, what do you want for me in the next 10 minutes? Awesome. Mm. You know? Yeah, definitely. That's my challenge. Great job. I couldn't help myself. I like it. Sorry. <laughs> so youth minister in me. <laughs> the application. There always has to be an application. I just hope so many more people read this book because it's amazing. And Me too. I hope that if even if you don't, that you were super edified by this episode and those crazy nuggets and gems that we just dropped in here that are just tidbits yeah. of the book. Do it. Get the book on Audible. It's freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. You can try a free trial of Audible and get the book for free. It only takes three and a half hours to get through. Mm-hmm. Or faster if you want to speed it up. That's yeah. cool too. <laughs> I forgot you. And can you do can that. cancel, like you can cancel your subscription within the thirty days, mm-hmm. and then just never have to pay for anything. Francis Chan, Forgotten God. I think it's also included in your Prime subscription. All the things. Do it. Super cool. You won't regret it. If you regret it after getting it, then you can never listen to my podcast ever again. <laughs> You're not welcome here. That's how that's how sure I am. <laughs> it's fantastic, guys. And if you could see me right now, I have the enthusiasm of Billy Mays in an OxyClean commercial. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's I don't know if it gets more intense than that. That's a dude that believes in his product. <laughs> and I do too. We believe in Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Check it out. Thank you, Francis Chan, for all of your wisdom and yeah. I hope he becomes Catholic soon. Oh, man. He's so close. So close. I know. So close. Anyways. All right. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Um, We look forward to catching you in our next episode. Toots.